Ellis Park is not uh, meeting today. So the questions start coming as this time in the life of Central Baptist is starting to set in. What is it that you need next? Well, what do you need to keep going? What's going to be the desires that you begin pursuing in order to fulfill? The Marines knew a long time ago what they needed in order to be successful. And the Marines had this motto that they put on their advertisement campaigns that they just need a few good men. Well, over time, that has changed because now it's a few the proud the Marines because they're including all uh, sexes into their inventory of soldiers but they 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 needed a few good men in some times past because that's what kept the marines uh, being the marines they wanted people that would give all that it takes to succeed as you look through the desires and the needs that you know are coming for central baptist church what do you list as the top needs for your congregation for the congregation known as central baptist of Melbourne. In church today, let me tell you what we need. We need a few good servants. That's what we need. We need a few good servants that are not serving self, that they're not coming to church to serve church for self-affirmation, that they're not doing what they do in order to gain appreciation from others. We, we need people that are not searching for their self-significance in the roles that they fill and the roles that they carry in the local body of Christ. Because if that's what you're after in the reason and the why you serve, then your service is not about God. It's about self. We don't want that in the church. That's not needed. We don't need people that are, listen to this, we don't need people that are serving the church. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, I thought we were supposed to serve the church. Listen, you're supposed to serve the Lord. And the Lord engages you in the local body of Christ, but you're not serving the church. You know, there are, there's going to be a day where there is no First Baptist of Melbourne, where there is no Central Baptist of Melbourne, where there is no uh, Life Point, where there is no First Baptist in the Atlantic. There's going to be a day where all these vehicles and vessels of the local body of Christ are done away with, and the one united body of Christ is brought together. You're not serving the church. Matter of fact, if you do a word search and you put serve and church in your bible program to do a word church there is not one reference to serve and church together in a verse it's not there because it's not about serving the church it's about serving the lord it's about worshiping him rather serving god i remember this great man buddy at Southside Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And we were doing ministry together, evangelizing together, going down the streets, knocking on doors one day. And I looked at Buddy, who was this rough-cut-looking guy, and I said, Buddy, why are you such a bulldog when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to serving God through the body? Why are you so tenacious in what you're doing? He said, listen, Leroy, I gave my first 40 years of my life to Satan. And when I got saved, I said, I'm going to give the rest of my life to God. You see, that's what it's about. When you give to God, he will 
plug you into the places and processes that he wants you to be a part of. But, but if everything you desire is from this world and everything you're doing is for this world, i got news for you, all of that will pass away. That will not last, it will not be sustained. The cars you desire, the homes you want, everything you're doing in this world will one day subside. But everything you do for the glory of God will echo throughout the chambers of eternity. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says this, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Did you, did you hear that? If it's self-significance you're after, guess what? The world. If it's self-affirmation you're going for, that's the world. If it's anything about your grandiose explanations of theology that you know covets everybody's attention and it gives you pristine real estate in the hearts and minds of people, but it's not for God's glory, it's the world. And if the world is what you're after and it's selfish, it's not from the Father. Matter of fact, John's pretty straightforward. The love of the Father is not... It didn't say the Father's not in you. But the love of the Father is not there. In other words, what you're pursuant of is not coated with love for God. John goes on to say, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father but is of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So there's a key here. He who does the will of God abides forever. What's, what's the key to doing the will of God? Well, I think it's found in that verse that says the love of the Father is not in him. It's about the love that you have for God that drives your ambitions, that drives your motives, that drives your desires, that drives your determinations, that drives your positions and so forth and so on. It comes right down to this. Why do you do what you do? And if it's not for the love of the Father, it's rot. It's waste. It's rubbish. It's dung. But if you do what you do because of your love for the Father, not man-made documents, not man-made vessels, not man-made directions, but for the love of the Father, there's eternity stamped upon that. That's what's lasting. The Bible concludes with the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation, when you go, don't, don't turn there, I'm not going to camp out there, but if you go to Revelation chapter 22 and you start looking through it, you're going to discover there's three things that are left for all eternity. Number one, there's God. Of course, He's eternal. He's the very definition and exhibition of what it means to be eternal. And so God is there, but there's two other things that last for eternity. The second thing is heaven. Heaven it is God's place his abode and he calls the third thing to join him and the third thing that lasts for eternity is those who are serving God that's both angels and redeemed man and woman we are then brought into the presence of God to be with God for all eternity God heaven and those who are serving God 
Revelation 22.3 says, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Are you one of those? Is that your role in the world and in the church and for eternity? Is that you? Revelation 22, verse 8 and 9 says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. Here's the key. For I am your fellow servant and your brethren. God, heaven, and those who serve. I hope you're one of those who serve, not from ambition or vainglory or conceit, but just because you love the Lord. All that truly lasts is encapsulated in that view. If we are to someday spend eternity serving God, I pray we're doing that well today. I pray our love for the Father is what's driving us. There's 3,000 biographical portraits in the Bible. Uh, Biographical portraits means a a picture, a word picture of this one person. 3,000 biographical portraits of one person in the Bible. And he gets the most ink and the most press of any other person in the Bible. And many of you would say Jesus. We have that encapsulated in the Gospels. But no, this isn't Jesus that gets all this press. It's actually just the servant of God known as David. What did David do to gain so much attention both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? What what did he do that he becomes the one that is spoken of more than any other person in the Bible? What, what What is so special about David that sets him apart to such the place of prestige and honor that he finds these words written of him in the Scripture? It's very simple. He just loved God first. And served him out of that love. And that's all he did. Acts 13.22 says this. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, love, who will do my will, sir. You can't serve outside of love. Not really. Otherwise, it's all pointed back to self. David was a man after God's own heart. He pursued God's heart. In Acts 13, 36, a few verses later, it says, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he was asleep. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. But, oh, his acts of service, they're still going on. They're still in the annals of history for all eternity to witness. To pursue God's heart means to pursue God's purposes. And if you don't pursue God's God's heart, you won't live out God's purposes. 
David was under God's command. In King, 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, we find because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And do you know, God used that in such a great way to show what repentance is really about. Even David's failure, God redeemed. So David being the most described man in all of the Bible is for good reason. He's our prime Old Testament example. He's our prime New Testament example. And he's the example of what it means to have a life set aside to be a servant of God. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And as you get to 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to pick up in those first 13 verses to get the, the picture of David coming onto the scene to become the man of God after God's own heart. But his becoming the man of God after God's own heart started long before 1 Samuel chapter 16. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we find this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you, will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? They didn't know if judgment was coming or what. And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab the, the, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab. That's real fun to say, by the way. And made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. The Jesse uh, made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass by Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your young men here? If you read between the lines, you can hear Jesse say, all that matter are. Are all your young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. 
And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. What is a person's life like when they're committed to being a servant of God? Remember, being a servant of God starts with the heart first and results in the actions. Love first and then will. So what does it look like when a person is committed to being one of God's servants? Well, if a person is committed to being one of God's servants, he lets the circumstance shape him for the glory of God. Number one, he lets the circumstances shape him for the glory of God. What were the circumstances in David's life? He was the youngest. He was, by all intents and purposes, the smallest, the least useful within the family because of being the youngest. He was mitigated to the routine task that nobody else wanted to do. And he was insignificant when it comes to sitting around the dinner table and sharing with the family. He was the outcast of the family to that point. They didn't really care much about David. In today's society, he would have been balled up in front of a psychiatrist's office trying to figure out why his mom and daddy didn't like him so much. But no, David didn't do that. He walked in the fields with the sheep and he talked with his Lord amongst those sheep. He learned the love and the privilege of what it meant to know God intimately. He didn't resent the alone times. He redeemed the alone times to be together times with the one that matters and the only one that matters and that's God himself. And he drew close in relationship to the Father. Those circumstances that many people would fall under. Those circumstances that would come us to reflect upon our own significance as less than worthy. Those circumstances that many people would waller in despair in. David just sat in the arms of the Lord and walked with him. He let the circumstances be used by God to shape him. Circumstances don't destroy the servants of God. Listen to me. Circumstances don't destroy the servants of God. If you're walking around worried and perplexed and you're being destroyed from the inside out because of circumstances, you better check who you're serving. Because if you're really serving God, your confidence is not going to be shaken. It might be stirred, but it won't be shaken. You see, when things are stirred, they come back together. His confidence was there because he knew God, the eighth son, smaller, not respected, an afterthought. Listen to me, folks. Another person will never complete you, nor make you what you ought to be. If David would have been reliant upon his mama and his daddy, if David would have been reliant upon his brothers and his siblings, if David would have been reliant upon the things going on at the home, he would have never been the man of God that he became. Because the fact of the matter is, none of those people, even if they would have been the perfect role models, even if they would have been the perfect companions for him, earthly speaking, they would have never made David complete. They would have never made David 
David what he ought to be. But here's what the key is to that. The only way you'll ever be complete, the only way you'll ever be what you ought to be is by learning God and loving God. And when you're learning God and you're loving God, he says, oh, here's my will for you. Here's my direction. Do you, tr- do you trust somebody you don't love? And when Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, there's that love encapsulated in that thought. Learning God and loving God. That's what gets the direction for a servant of God. And David learned God was enough. He didn't need anything else. He learned God was enough in those hills and those sheepfolds. Not because God was the best thing he could get. Speaking of, well, I guess he's better than those folks. No, he learned God was enough because he learned God was everything he ever needed. He didn't need any of that other stuff to make him complete. It's through those fogs of circumstances that we actually get to see that God is all that we need. David let the circumstances be used by God to shape him, and David's desire was for God. When they called David in verse 11, he was with the sheep. He was away from the festivities. What was going on in that? I've already spoke on that, but do you understand that Psalm 23 comes from the heart of David where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He knew what it meant to be a shepherd because he was one. He knew what it meant to direct the sheep because he did that. He knew what it meant to provide for their needs because that was his job. And as he's doing all of that, he's learning about who God himself is and that God's the one that provides for David. God's the one that directs David. God's the one that protects David. He understood all of those truths from his time, and he's able to say, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And it'll be a good life. It'll have good stuff. No, that's not what he says. He says, and when all that's done, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, we want the surely goodness and mercy to run over, don't we? But my friends, the servant is focused on all this stuff. It's passing. But he's not. I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever. His desire was for God. In your world today, what gets your desire? What is the focus of your attention? And when we talk about your world today, 
Yeah, we're talking about social media and entertainment and your living room, your dining room. We're talking about the places you frequent and the things you do, but we're also talking to you, believer. Your world is this church as well. And what gets your attention? What gets your desire? What, what gets your thoughts more than anything else? I, I tell you, in, in the world of dining and living room and home and all of that, your debit card, your bills, and your time expenditures will tell you what your desires are. When it comes to the economy of the body of Christ that you're a part of here at Central, you know what tells on you as far as what your desires are? What do you spend the most time talking about? What do you spend the most time on the sidewalks and in the courtyard sharing with others? And I dare say when what becomes what you spend time sharing with others becomes, you know what, God was talking to me today as I read his word. And this is what he convicted my heart about. You know what? As I was singing a song of praise to God today, he just melted my soul and made me fall more in love with him. You, you know what? As I was reading a devotional today, God began speaking to me through what Oswald Chambers said years and years ago. God began speaking to me today. But you know what most conversations are? They're not about this. They're about this. They're about the building. They're about whether we can vote people off of membership that don't come to church and the FBI couldn't find them if they look for them. Most conversations are, can you believe what that pastor said in the business meeting? I didn't mean to go meddling this morning. But my friends... Either you're fighting for the things that are passing away or you're living for the glory of God. And you know how you can tell when you're not living for the glory of God? You get offended so easily because it was about you all the time rather than seeking God. David's desire was for God. I pray yours is. And David's life was then made available. You see, that's the order. You're not ever going to be available for the glory of God till your heart's right with God and your desires for God. You've got to love before you can serve. And David comes to this point and he was available because of the love that God has showed him toward, him, toward God himself. And the good news is God is always on the lookout for hearts like that. For servants that are really wanting to serve God and not self. God is always on the lookout for those servants. In verse 12, David didn't fit the mold. He was ruddy, had bright eyes, he was good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint, for this is the one. How did God know? Because God doesn't see the externals, he sees the internal. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You can't serve until you love. 
And when you love, God will put you in the place of service. He wants you to be. Psalm 78, verse 70 through 2 says this. For also he chose David as his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had, that had young. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. Is your heart in unity of love for God? Because that precedes the skillfulness of hands. It's always in that order. David was schooled by the sheep with very little uh, 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 with very little of their habits to be something that you think would teach you, but yet he walked down the path with those sheep day after day after day. And, and what he learned from those sheep is that they're helpless. They can't even clean themselves. They're, they're dumb. They're not smart animals. They can't even find food unless they're led to it. They're, they're dirty. They walk around and collect any and all filth that they come into contact with. They're helpless. They're dumb. They're dirty, they're filthy, and they can only be cared for by somebody who loves them. Somebody who's patient. And he knew that you and I are not so much different than those sheep. And when we read the 23rd Psalm, we know we need God to guide us. We know we need God to protect us. We know that we need God to cover us because we know our frailty and we know our propensity to get dirty and filthy and be dumb creatures at times. When David saw the sheep, I think he looks out and he sees the rest of humanity and he goes, they're just like those. And if God doesn't lead them, they won't be led. Oh, and God needs a man of integrity. God needs a man of heart. God needs a man that loves him first in order to anoint him. Not that David was pursuant of being the king of Israel. He was just pursuant of God's heart, wanting to be what God wanted him to be. And he loved God, and God lifted him up. And God said, you've seen the sheep. Now you see the people. It's going to take the same care. We're all there. And we all need God to direct every step that we take. And David only made his life available. Here's what happened. God equipped him. God called him. God positioned him. And God used him. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. You do know, I hope, that God is the only one that can make you have impact that will last for all eternity. Stop trying. Let God do the work. Because 
in much of our trying, it just reflects that we don't want to fail. Because if I fail, others will think poorly of me. And if others will think poorly of me, I will lose credibility. And if I lose credibility, I won't be able to speak up as much as I want to. You see how all of a sudden that all became about me, myself, and I? Don't care. Let God be the one that directs every decision that you make, even if it means you sit in a sheepfold for years and years and years. Even as you look at Joseph and he sat in a jail cell for years and years and years. Even as you look in Jesus and he walked with the common man for years and years and years only to be nailed to a cross of no sin of his own but of our sins to be paying the penalty for you and me when he didn't have to but oh yeah he let love direct the steps of his will because you understand that your love for the father will never even come close to the love that the father has for you you might say well I will sacrifice my name I will sacrifice my will I will sacrifice my own destiny if I love God so much that I desire to be a servant of his my friends he sacrificed his son because he loved you so much that his son became a servant of you to pay the price for the penalty of your sin what do you think it's going to cost you to serve God it's nothing in comparison for what it cost him to serve you but you won't even let your own ego die at times and say, I'm sorry. Or repent. A servant of God loves first, serves second. Started out asking the question, what is it you need? I hope I've answered that. Because I'll tell you this, you don't need another preacher. You don't need another committee chairperson. You, you, you don't need another teacher. You don't need another program director. You don't need another deacon. You can get those a dime a dozen anywhere off of any street corner that you go to and say, hey, will you be a deacon of our church? Well, yes, I sure will. Hey, will you be a preacher for our church? Well, I've been waiting for somebody to ask. You can get those anywhere. What you need is you need people who are willing to be a servant of the God Most High. That's what you need. Don't just put names in places and people in positions. Is God with this man? Is God with this woman? Is their heart burning for the glory of God? God desires a few good servants. We need people that serve God first and love Him before that in order to be what God wants them to be in any role that they might be put in. But oh, oh church, please hear me. God knows who He wants in these places. He knew where David was in the sheepfold before David ever walked out that day. 
Let God direct your steps. It's not our job to run the church. It's our job to serve God. And when we serve God, He runs it quite well. Don't build anything temporal. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Oh, here's the key. For where your treasure is, there's your heart. I pray that in this time of seeking and searching, you really ask God what it is you love most. And if the answer is anything less than God Himself, I pray you repent. And you lay yourself before God and say, God, I want you. I want you more than I want anything. I want you more than I want church growth. I want you more than I want a new pastor. I want you more than I want a position. I want you more than I want my voice heard. I want you more than... When you get to that point, he'll take a shepherd boy and put him up as king. What do you think he'll do with you? Aha. Whatever he wants. When you get to that point, you're willing to say, God, whatever you want. And that's when you'll know God has your heart. And you have his. Father, I love you. I thank you for the fact that it's not about us. Oh, forgive us when we make it that. Forgive us when we don't listen as sheep sometimes don't do to the shepherd's counsel. Forgive us when we go our own way. God, I pray for revival. I pray you turn hearts to you so that steps of direction from you will follow. And Father, I do pray that the greatest need that we all have, the need of loving you first and foremost, is the need that you use this day to start meeting in my life and the life of this church because we all need that rerouting at times. Father, if you've spoken in any way today, then thank you. And may you move as you desire. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. Pastor Jeff, would you...